Hello, this is Elliot Chapman, and you're listening to the Sirens of Audio. Ah. Well, it's great to have an even older fan guesting on the podcast this time. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on board. You are very much not welcome. Hey, hey, you can't say that. This is my show. What gives you the right? This is our show. It always has been. Our fandom has existed for decades. In the eons before you were even a glint in the milkman's eye. We existed on this planet long before the great dial-up was ever imagined. Well, that's true, but, you know, times change and... You, you are very welcome here, as long as you agree with everything we say and think. Okay? We do not agree with you. Oh, come on. Isn't there a way we can engage in peaceful coexistence? No. We shall destroy you, as you have attempted to destroy us. Oh? And how do you propose to do that? Through our YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, folks. There should have been another way. G'day audiophiles, you are listening to the Sirens of Audio, the podcast that explores the universe of Doctor Who in the audio medium. My name is Dwayne. And my name is Philip. G'day everyone, g'day Dwayne. Mate, it's uh, another good one, believe it or not. They're all good, they're all good and this is Yeah, what's a bad one? one. <laughs> what's the bad one? Come on, name, name the bad one, Dwayne. No, no such thing, no, no such animal. No, it isn't, exactly. Uh, we, we're going to have a special uh, chat today with... Someone who is very well known in the world of Doctor Who audio media and audio spin-offs, and that's Bill Baggs. Got a very long history in Doctor Who fandom and uh, audios and videos. So we're going to have a chat with him about both uh, coming up shortly. But before we do, let's jump down that rabbit hole. Here we go. Me, me. <laughs> So, now we're in the rabbit hole, Philip. Uh, here's the little topic I'm going to talk to you about today. There's, there's probably two things I want to talk to you about. First of all, how do you consume your audios? What's what do you do? Do you sit? Do you do it mainly while driving? Do you uh, do headphones while you're exercising? Or how do you do it? Um, probably the largest bulk of time doing it would be uh, walking. <clears throat> so I walk every morning, and so I always have an audio in my head for walking. But um, ask my wife and she'll tell you I've just got it on everywhere. So oh. <laughs> my wife out... says the same. <laughs> so walking around the house, she she, um, she came out with the fact she was a bit annoyed by it a couple of weeks ago, which I hadn't realised. Because um, when I'm listening to her, I don't listen to her because I'm listening to something else and she starts a, a conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm prepared to stop my audio for the conversation. But you know, she gets a bit put out for the fact I'm just stopping my audio because I can't, 
I'm not capable of listening to an audio and listening to her at the same time. So one of them has to go. And yeah, so I shouldn't say that. That's sounding bad, isn't it? One of them has to go. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, driving somewhere, I I put them on wherever I can. So, you know, driving, walking um, around the house. I, I mean, I listen to a few podcasts too. I tend to, if I'm doing jobs around the house, I tend to put podcasts on. Because mm-hmm. I don't need to concentrate to them at the same level, but when I'm listening to the audios, I like it to be me and my headphones and in the space. Yeah, I, I certainly like to use my noise cancelling headphones, which my wife finds very irritating. Uh, when she's, I can see her lips moving. She's, <laughs> but I'm she's just part, going, what? What? She's that? she's part of the noise you're cancelling. <laughs> oh, that doesn't doesn't sound very good, does it? Um, that my leads wife, me to is that, that, can I say my, my wife never listens to this, so we're safe. Well, I oh. am. Does your wife listen to this? Never. See, never. we're both. Yeah, we're both safe. Then we can say whatever. whatever I ask we want. her too. Are you going to listen to what, what I do sometimes? She goes, no, no. That's that's fine. We can say what we like. Yes. So so that leads me to the second issue with listening to our audios is that as time goes on, we seem to be getting more and more to listen to. Uh, plus particularly with our podcast here, Philip, we're going back to listen to our stuff as well. So we, I'm I'm finding I'm getting a big build-up of stuff to listen to, and I'm not very organised, so I don't have set times where uh, I go, right, I'm going to listen to an audio for an hour here, or I've got... See, Scourge of the Cybermen's recently come out, which is uh, eight hours long, and I don't I don't go, well, I'm going to listen to it one hour a day, or because the episodes are... What are the episodes? Uh, an hour and a quarter or something each of them so i'm going to listen to one episode every day over eight days or six days uh i just don't do that so i find it a little bit overwhelming do you have any suggestions for me as to how i can consume uh the bulk of my audio better um no. divorce <laughs> <laughs> no uh, i i can't work I mean, i've been sitting here making a list i'm just just chatting with you today Dwayne, about what i have to listen to within the next seven days just in terms of stuff that we're doing in terms of random boys, other things, and just going, oh no, how am I going to do this? So if I had some great advice, maybe our listeners have some great advice, put it, put it on our Facebook page or Twitter or something. Like, how, how, guys, do you find the time to listen to stuff? I guess it's it's partly been made worse by the fact that I'm trying to listen to more than I would have done. I mean, I, I wouldn't have bothered with the uh, Scourge of the Cybermen, I don't think. Really? Uh, 12 months ago, yeah. Well, yes. Can I just say, the master one that was in the master set was so good. That's the one that uh, sold the idea on me. Particularly John Colshaw doing it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess I was, in one part I was really disappointed it was so good. And and I had to listen to that because we were, we were reviewing the whole Masterful collection, so I thought I had to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And about halfway through, I was really enjoying it, which is a bit sad because I was hoping I'd find... Sad that I'd, you're enjoying it. I was sad because I was hoping it would be a bit dull and boring. And that way, I wouldn't have to worry about it again. And then, you know, when they announced Scourge of the Cybermen, realizing it's going to be the same sort of format, I thought, ah, oh, no, it's going to be good. I've got to listen to it. But don't forget, we've got Jago and Lightfoot, which I haven't yeah. even got to yet, which is, you know, three, three hours or, a, per yeah. episode, something like two or three hours an episode with with a box set of four episodes so i've got in trouble with uh nick briggs nick briggs personally for uh for suggesting that i might speed these up but i might have to (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be hard though because they really enhance them well they've uh, they do a great job with these uh with these audio novels Um, they do i think you just have to suck it up an hour earlier 
and uh, just go walking an hour earlier. Got to get a bit more structure in my life so I can fit all this uh, entertainment in because that's what yes. life's all about, after all, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any suggestions, folks? Please let us know in the in the comments or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, let's get out of the rabbit hole and. Uh, I might throw in uh, a little bit of uh, a Adventures in Time and Space audio right here, and then we'll come back in a second with Bill Bags. Recognise it? Of course. It's the British Museum, isn't it? Not quite. The Commonwealth Museum, according to the signs. So what's going on, Professor? Well, it appears we've arrived in a different 1998. What? A parallel world? I suppose so. How? I've no idea. And in this London, blokes wear lacy collars and say, God save you. I suspect there's rather more to it than that, Ace. Ah, this looks like it. Computer terminal. Hmm. Technology seems a little more advanced, too. So that bloke we saw... Yes. Welcome. Please select category. Oh, he did remind me of something. Yes. Well, he looked like, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, a Puritan. Exactly, Ace. And this being the Commonwealth Museum points to... Aha! Here we are. The English Civil War. Right, Cavaliers and Roundheads. 1642 to 1649. What was the score? 1-0 to the Roundheads, wasn't it? They cut the King's head off. And Oliver Cromwell became Lord Protector. Cromwell died in uh, 1658 and was briefly succeeded by his son Richard. Richard Cromwell? Never heard of him. No, not many people have. He didn't last very long. Not the man his father was. A country was ruled by military dictatorship for a while before the monarchy was restored. We're not here. Not in this England. Look, ah, there it is. Now, according to this... Yeah? According to this, Cromwell named General John Lambert as his successor. Lambert managed to hold the country together, and the Union became strong and prosperous. Under Lambert, the protectorship became hereditary, and the royalist cause died when Charles II was in exile. No restoration? No. And Ireland became fully part of the kingdom. After Lambert's ruthlessly efficient purge of the Catholics from the land... A grand Protestant alliance was forged between Britain, Holland, Sweden, and the Hanseatic League. You what? Never mind. Then there was a 20-year war against France and Spain. I'll move on a bit. Well? Britain is now at the head of a huge power block, which includes America. It's still a colony, according to this. And look, science has flourished. There's a transatlantic tunnel. And suborbital spaceflight. Wow, sounds better than my London. I could get into those anti-gravelists at Covent Garden Tube. Better it might be, Ace, but it's all wrong. It's not meant to be this way. Someone's been interfering with history. But why? Just to keep Trafalgar Square pigeon-free? Hardly. Come on, let's see what else the Commonwealth Museum has to show us. Well, whoever it is, at least they've got the trains running on time. They used to say that about someone here. It's my great pleasure to welcome uh, Bill Bags. Bill, g'day. G'day. <laughs> You're coming to us from, from Wales, right? Pembrokeshire in Wales. My, my, I'm half English on my father's side and half Welsh on my mother's side. So it's the first time I've been here in years, but... It's got to be done. It's a beautiful part of the world. Very good. You, you've come to my attention again this year because of BBV Online sort of getting revamped. Uh, only in the last few months, is that right? Correct. Yeah, well, we, um, we started lockdown. Uh, I mean, I was still working during lockdown. I mean, I worked for the BBC during in my day life and BBV is my other life. And uh, during lockdown, well, Ark Beetle 
started taking an interest in pro, the Mark Gatiss and my Liz Shaw creation, in terms of ex taking the character I played in the series and breathing new life into it in written form. So I was supporting them. That then led to, during lockdown, using that character in short case file video diaries for uh, to develop a BBB YouTube channel, just really for fun and just to see where it went. And then that, partly because of the limitations of YouTube and uh, in terms of monetizing, not that that was really our goal, but just kind of curiously to see where it would go, that then led to, well, why not? breathe new life as you say into bbv itself so yeah we set up a website the audios which were available elsewhere that i've done because of technology uh hosting your own website is so much easier now than it used to be and uh, i just thought you know why not bring it all back together in in one place again i'm glad i did i mean it's I, oh that's what we did that's uh, yeah we hosted whilst doing these videos of my character having fun these short case file videos we put one of the audios on the youtube channel and we had over 2000 hits or listens if you like and that really surprised me so i kind of thought well there is still enthusiasm for the bbv library certainly is so we'll we'll get to that shortly but i want to go way back way back to where you've got, a, you've got a long long history in in, uh, in in Doctor Who fandom, how did you? What's your what's your story? Uh, when did you become a Doctor Who fan? Let's go way back before audio visuals. Where did it all start for you? Are you saying I'm old? We all are, Bill. We're all getting there. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well, I my first memory of Doctor Who. Well, actually, the, my parents tell me. Uh, the day I was born, I think was uh, Patrick Troughton's The Ice Warrior, was on the telly when my when I, as a baby, was brought home from the hospital. So obviously I would have had no awareness of what that was at that time, but it obviously initiated something perhaps. Uh, and I was always a serious, didn't want to miss an episode, got very upset if ever I did miss an episode of Doctor Who from as far back as I can remember. Uh, Planet of the Daleks was my is my first is my earliest memory of Doctor Who, and um, I always watched it. Then discovered uh, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, um, so started getting their magazine. Oh no, actually before that, Tom Baker came. I was growing up in Southampton, on the south coast of England, and um, Tom Baker came. There was a shop called Sperrings. It was a small chain of shops, like the co-op now, or, you know, there's only a handful of them in the, I don't know how far they went, but anyway, Tom Baker came and was doing some signings. He had these brilliant posters of him. And I went along, was very nervous, got his autograph. So that was, that was again, quite an early memory. Uh, and I remember being very proud that I'd met Doctor Who in person. Because he was my, he, although I remember John Pertwee, Tom Baker really was my doctor. And then, as I say, I, I've discovered the Doctor Who appreciation. So it kind of then went up a scale. And um, I remember going to London and going to meetings. Uh, and I set, then set up 
the Hampshire local group um, at, at the age, I think I was 16. And um, I, to surprise, to my delight, it's funny, I mean, in this era of email and social media, back then it was just posting in a, in a newsletter that was distributed via mail. But yet still we, we had, a, I reckon there were about between 10 and 20 members in this group that would meet at my parents, often at my parents' place, but also at a friend's house locally in Southampton. And uh, we'd watch episodes. Oh, that was the other thing. There's a guy called David Stead, who I think is still known. And he found some of the episodes. And during that time, when uh, we were at this group, the local Hampshire group, he, his father worked uh, the, the South Sea uh, Royal Marines barracks, and they had a cinema. Anyway, he, one day he invited us along, didn't tell us what was going to happen. And we went in, we all, we had a look. Oh, it was the location for the Sea Devils. So we were, we were enjoying just kind of being Doctor Who fans at a Doctor Who location. And um, he then said, oh, come with me. And we ended up going into this cinema. And he put the, this film on and it was um, Wheel in Space episode three, which at that point obviously wasn't in the archive. And he'd, I, I, I don't, I can't remember the details about, I think he'd found the collector. So that was very exciting. And then that then, uh, my fascination for drama and this, and Doctor Who then collided and we did this story planet of death that i wrote which was utter nonsense but a lot of fun uh, and the whole group i think i cast most of the members of the group most of whom probably couldn't act but just enjoyed the process and i think at this point this is where nick briggs probably comes into the picture so when you say you put the story together do you mean it was it, i wrote what, it so so was it an audio play or was it a oh was it yes a video? sorry yeah that we, a friend of mine, one of the group, Chris Forney, he had a reel-to-reel -reel tape machine. So me being me, I thought, well, how can we make use of this? So I wrote an audio script and um, he recorded it. And as I say, that's, uh, I don't, I, somebody was mentioning it the other day, funny enough, I've got no idea whether this, I know the script doesn't exist because I, this I would have been, it would have been on a typewriter, so way before PC. But I'd be interested to see whether the, um, Chris has probably got a recording of it somewhere. And as I say, that's when Nick Briggs, Nick Briggs was a member of the group, an occasional member. And Gary was also, a, a, came down and was an honorary member. And then I joined the Dwasses committee. So I was going backwards and forwards to London. How far do you want me to bring you up where? Because that was when, ultimately, when audiovisuals, that's then... The, the kind of genesis of audio visuals. So how old are you now? Uh, I think 16, 17. This is very, uh, we were going to Doctor Who conventions, the Panopticons. My first Panopticon was in Birmingham and Peter Taverson was the guest. And then, so th this is all 16, 17. And uh, I wrote, I think I knew, I must have met Gary at a committee meeting and we hit it off. He did then write, I encourage him to write the space whale. Uh, I encourage bizarrely in my naivety, Stephen Payne to play the, the editor of Starburst uh, to play the doctor who has zero acting talent and is equally bemused by my request <laughs> to play the doctor. I mean, this is a 16, 17. Basically, I had, I had, 
And I still have bundles of enthusiasm and energy, but at that point, you know, zero idea of how to, not zero idea, but kind of, I'm learning the art of acting and writing and, you know, I'm the kind of, I have a fascination for and a passion for, but my talents were, I mean, maybe they still are in there uh, growing, but the, at that point they were down this end of the spectrum, which is where, I mean, it was really useful. Nick Briggs had been, he'd recently graduated from Rose Bruford. So he brought, when when we recast for the second one, he then brings in a lot of, I mean, uh, again, a lot of passion uh, and some experience of drama and also uh, a lot of uh, enthusiasm for playing the Doctor himself. I mean, he was, he really reveled in it and that was great. You know, it was, he was, a, he, Nick, it, well, I think my talent at that point was getting everybody, uh, I was, I don't know why, uh, I had this idea that doing something regularly at that time when you were talking again, no social media, having something regular so that people can would know, oh, okay, this month is going to be something new. So it helped people, uh, an audience uh, get into what we were doing, doing it, uh, re uh, releasing stuff regularly. That was my thing to encourage people to deliver. And it was challenging at times, um, but very very uh, very very creative time i, I mean we go I, I would it was all of course on cassette at this point i mean who i mean i think cassette bizarre i mean i know vinyl's making a comeback but i think even cassette is having a little bit of a renaissance it is uh, anyway <laughs> i i had several tape decks in my bedroom so whilst i wasn't necessarily the most creative biscuit in the tin uh, I was definitely the most determined. So I would be, I'd have a master cassette tape and two other tape decks and I'd be churning out these cassettes and then we'd go to conventions. And thinking, looking back, I mean, audio, of all the things that I've done, audio visuals amazes me the most because let's face it, we're talking in the 1980s here. We're talking cassette tape. Uh, we're talking, although the technology wasn't bad, but still, that, that what we produced then, and I know Gary then took over and produced, you know, it, it, even after I left, it continued. Uh, it, still, most people that you talk to in this world have heard of audiovisuals. And um, the amount of stuff about it on the internet is, um, bowls me over. There's, <laughs> they, the people are selling them, the original cassettes. And this is with the covers are photocopied, and this is you know the technology that we were dealing with at the time. But it was it was genuinely. I mean, there, there was what Nick also brought because he just was fresh out of drama college. He had a, a, a he had access to a lot of um, acting talent, good you know uh, people who were who were keen to get material to do stuff. So that really kind of upped our game. I was then working for the BBC at the time and the World Service and had access to studios. I mean, it wouldn't happen at all now. This is, there was a famous thing called producer's choice, which changed the whole structure, the internal structure. But then I could book a studio uh, because it wasn't really a money-making, uh, it wasn't a profit for profit thing. They didn't mind. 
we were recording in professional studios. Then, of course, I got Michael Wisher. I must have met Michael. At a, I think I met Michael Wisher at a convention. He, I mean, I, I had balls of steel, I think, because I just would, I must have been nervous as well. But I asked him and he just said, yes, okay. And this is for no money, these guys. I mean, he was, Michael was absolutely brilliant. He came and stayed with us while we were recording the, the Dalek voices for the Time Ravagers. And um, we were endlessly doing Davros impressions and he was kind of joining in and it was hilarious. Yeah, just a lovely man. And then, of course, we had Nabil Shaban, who I approached. Um, that again, that oh, I, bizarrely, um, at, at, whilst all this is going on, I'm, we knew people at, BB, at Television Centre. So I'd go and look at the recordings, the actual show recordings. And I met Nabil Shaban. I, I don't know how much people know, but of course, the uh, television centre, there's this inner ring. So the, the studios are off of the donut shape, but then inside that is the central atrium off out, outside. And I remember once going there and Nabil was, because his costume was so hot when he was playing Sill, he was sat outside in his costume with just getting, cooling down. I can't remember that I spoke to him then, but I remember seeing him there. But anyway, he, I mean, he was also great fun. So yeah, audio visuals was um, a fascinating time. And, and I think for, for a lot of people in this world, like Nick Briggs, Gary Russell, uh, I mean, I think Russell also, T Davis knew about audio visuals and I don't know whether he was a fan of them. Um, and Jason Hay Gallery, who now does Big Finish, was involved. Um, so for a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you can pinpoint a lot from that era of people who are now movers and shakers in the world of Doctor Who. The legends of Gallifrey speak of a world where everything is horror, horror and pain. A world from which there is no escape. And the creatures who crawl on the crust of the land are the lost and Hopeless and the broken and the doomed. The legends of Gallifrey speak of a world, and the name of the world they speak of is hell. Hell is where I have come at last, and there can be no escape. We, we recently did an episode where we compared the audiovisuals sort of Orion with the big finish sort of Orion and we were quite shocked really at the at the quality of the audiovisuals version it was it was a really enjoyable story there was a, there was a story behind that wasn't there Philip of um, um, uh, you wanting a bill wanting a, a pretty standard cyberman script from from Nick so he wrote something that uh, he thought you wouldn't like is that the is that how the story goes philip the, the story that nick gave was that he produced a really excellent script which he gave to bill and bill didn't like it and just said give me a normal straight story and so he wrote <laughs> that it's boring and typical as good possibly right with every cliche and it's been a huge hit <laughs> there you go I, i've got I, now you mentioned that i vaguely remember it i mean i got no memory of what the original script was like um but that that, that i mean that's the joy of the thing when you're doing drama. I mean, you think about most people who were sat in an office 
are nothing wrong with an office job. It's perfect. But when you're doing drama, um, you're going to kind of rub up against each other. And um, I had certain, Nick had his talents, but I had my talents. And uh, yeah, I think that, that together, you know, the, the conflicts that arise often what comes from the conflict is something nine times out of 10 that's uh, good or at least maybe even better. So did the BBC have issues with the audiovisuals being produced? Audiovisuals, interestingly, given that we were producing them at the same time that Doctor Who was on air, unlike BBV and obviously Big Finish, which whilst the show is now back on air, we were operating, we did operate while it wasn't. Never heard of any complaints about audiovisuals. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't any, but I, they never came to my, nobody ever told me to stop doing them. And, um, there was, I don't think we, the BBC, I had no, I had no awareness that the BBC were even knew of them. So I, you, you maybe know something that I don't, but I mean, no, but I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but I'm assuming the BBC had more problems with BBV down the track. So I'm just wondering why stories that specifically are the Doctor with no, you know, no holes barred. It's the Doctor yes, doing exactly. Doctor yeah, stories. Is, yeah. No. I mean, it's, as, you, as I say, I mean, it's even more testament to the success that, I mean, I was churning out hundreds, if not thousands of cassettes of, and sending them to people. So, yeah, I mean, the, you've got to remember the the BBC, it's only recently with the new, when the series came back, that there was ever any commercial, serious commercialization of the show. So back then, the, um, and I'm not, this is not a criticism, it's just an interesting reflection on how things have changed and the direction they've gone in. I don't think the BBC would have, uh, I suspect that the BBC, whatever the BBC means, was even aware of them back then. Um, oh, you, you were selling thousands? I mean, what were you selling? What was the... I can't remember. I, I mean, I, I would, I mean, if you look at it collectively, I mean, I can't say how many individual, because we were, I think we must have been selling them for about pound eighty or something. Uh, so it was... Uh, of each of a particular story, I can't say, but I would guess that we would have sold thousands of the, the whole archive. And I, I mean, I can't. I mean, I don't know what the last season did because I'd left by then. As far as I know, they, they were they were no less popular than when I was doing it. So, what led to you leaving? Well, I mean, I've said this before, but the clue is in the name, audiovisuals. And um, at that time, I was keen to do a film. And I think the group as a whole, when we'd done, we'd done it, we'd experimented with Burnout, which was a non-Doctor Who audio, which didn't, which, which was which is a lovely piece that Nick wrote, and I really liked it. And Michael Wisher was in it. John Wardmore was the main character in it, and I really wish we'd have done more with that because uh, it was a fascinating idea. But there wasn't really the the others in the group were kind of. I mean, as you can see, Nick is a hardcore Doctor Who fan, and thank goodness because it, um, that's the fan. Everyone benefits from that. But I loved Doctor Who, but also wanted to do other things. Although you know there were kind of clashes 
There was never really any, there's, there was no big dramatic falling out. I just moved on. And I wanted to do stuff that the, that the others didn't. I mean, I experimented, funny enough, I did start doing uh, some, I, I moved to, I got a job in Birmingham and then Nottingham. So that was a kind of pulling apart anyway, just in terms of location. Um, but it was just, you know, we, we, our, we were just diverging at that point, which is always inevitable and I think quite healthy. Um, I mean, it, it, it makes me smile a little bit that, I mean, I produced three seasons in three years and they did whatever it was, one season in three years. But by that point, there was no need to deliver stuff as regularly. The, the audiovisuals had made its name, um, had made the name it needed to make in order for people to be hunting us down rather than us promoting ourselves, uh, um, generating awareness. So I didn't really follow it after that. I mean, I was aware that they were still doing stuff and, and kind of proud that it was still going on. But it was, I mean, whilst at the time, and arrogant me would have said, oh, I, you know, I was the driving force. Just on reflection, it was definitely a group thing. And whilst I, I would say they couldn't have done it without me, I certainly couldn't have done it without them. And it was, I loved it. I mean, it was fascinating. I mean, it was hard work because there would be, when, when, you, when a play was coming to fruition, uh, depending on who was editing it, you'd have to babysit them and you'd be there through the night. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was uh, interesting times. But, yeah, I look back on, on the whole with uh, great fondness. So what were you doing career-wise all through this? Well, as I say, I was, during the beginning, when we, we were using Stuart Berry... Initially, where initially we'd record the first season. I remember recording in Southampton in my parents' house and other places in people's houses. And then I think I can't remember when I I got the job at the the moment I was eighteen. I could then work for the BBC. There was something legal if you they didn't employ people under the age of eighteen. So I was doing an apprenticeship, and then eighteen, boom, got the job in London at Bush House and then so that was a clerk in world service but then using the internal attachment system I managed to get a, a, an assistant editor video editor's job in news in television center and then from there I managed to get a video editor's job in Birmingham and Nottingham so um, that's I guess ties in with the with the whole visual desire so here I was in Australia uh, in 1990, 91, 92. I was hoping that Doctor Who was coming back on television because there was never really any announcement. And then all of a sudden this little story appears. I can't remember how I found out about it. It might have been through the Australian Club newsletter. I don't know. But Summoned by Shadows came out. So I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And I grabbed, uh, grabbed a copy of that. How did that come about as a project for you i had um so uh, we've talked about this um, desire now to move into video visual and um, i joined the bbc film club so um i'd done a course with them i was video editing for the bbc and i'd experimented with doing another audio thing which didn't amount to anything so I, my passion was still there and I knew this guy called Christian Darkin from the film club, who was also a Doctor Who fan. 
And we cooked up this idea uh, of doing something and wondering whether we, under the umbrella of the BBC Film Club. So this is before BBV is born, but it's from this that BBV comes out. And uh, the Film Club had equipment and also um, people who would enthusiasts who, who, given that I had no idea, I had no budget particularly. The film club didn't give me a budget. They just gave me, they gave me resources, i.e. people. So people who could do sound and people with lighting equipment. And they, who, you know, they were keen to do stuff. And um, so I, so that on the one side, I, I was gathering a writer and a technical team. And then on the other hand, again, I mean, I, I, I found out Colin's agent. I found out Tom Baker's agent. And that Nicola's agent. I can't remember whether I approached uh, another companion. Anyway, uh, my at the time I really wanted Tom because obviously he would be nothing wrong with Colin, but Tom would be a bigger catch. And I was kind of flirting with his agent, and it was not. I mean, I suspect that there was always a, it was always going to be a no at that point but they kept me dangling meanwhile colin's agent said oh colin will do it and then nicola said she'll do it i don't know whether they talked i've never spoken to them about it so i had a script i had a technical team and um i had a cast and i used um a lot a lot of uh, a couple of people from the audio visuals so Nick's girlfriend, Heather, Nick's girlfriend at the time, I should say, Heather Barker, and John Wadmore, and uh, who else was in it? Yeah, the, oh, yeah, the other guy. Okay. Oh, ah, I was also involved in the BBC's the amateur theatre company, so I knew some actors from there, some of whom who had been actors but had kind of given up the profession and were doing it in an amateur capacity. So I kind of found a cast to surround Colin and Nicola with, and um, we got some. I mean, yeah, Michael, Michael Wisher, of course, in that one. And Michael Wisher, yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, yeah, of course. And Michael playing multiple parts. Michael was being just really up for it. I mean, he just slap a crappy latex mask on his face, and he's away. Yeah. So, and I remember it being. Great fun. We, uh, the cameraman got stuck in the, um, we filmed not far from, I deliberately, to make it easier, chose locations near Colin. I, not because he made that a requirement, but just because I was, in my naivety, being polite. I've got, I've got you know, make it easy for him. Anyway, there was um, a quarry or a dump or something where most of it was filmed near him. And I remember the cameraman who was a, a news cameraman that I was working with in Nottingham, who I knew was interested in film work. So he, although he was a, had got sidetracked by news shooting, he was very good at lighting and, and cared about what the image looked like. That was Dick. So he drove down from Nottingham in a big Volvo and got stuck after our day's filming in um, uh, near Colin. Uh, he... <laughs> His, he couldn't drive, he couldn't leave because it was too much mud. And then he, so he had to spend the night in this quarry in his car. But then fortunately, the, um, the pickup truck 
managed to get him. So, yeah, that's kind of Salmon by Shadows. I, I mean, it was a fun... At that point, I'm not thinking, uh, like audiovisuals, we're going to do a season or any of that stuff. I'm just thinking, I want a showreel that I can send to potential TV producers to show what I can do. I mean, naive, but uh, again, this drive, I suppose, to make things happen. And there you are. And then, of course, again, like the cassettes, in my, I'm in my bedroom with a bunch of, this is before we got the distribution deal, like the cassette, with audiovisuals with the cassette tapes, I've got a bunch of VHS machines. I got a BBC designer to design the cover. And, uh, and there was a guy, the, 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 the thing that, the biggest learning for me, apart from working with Colin and Nicola, was I found an ed- a friend of mine in Birmingham. I'd met this editor, who, a chap called Michael Duxbury, who was a very experienced editor. And I, once I'd filmed everything and I'd edited it, I gave it to him to appraise. And he said it was rubbish. I mean, he, I mean it, it didn't make any sense, is what he said. So I said, well, you do it then. And he re-edited it. And I learned a lot from having this other pair of eyes and somebody who kind of knew... And the, the way, the detail with which he worked with the material and, may, and the, the nuances and the tweaks. And that was a huge learning for me, actually, to have some, to see it from somebody else. Because you kind of, what I was doing was just like taking it from the script and just literally doing it with, with very little sensitivity. And so I learned that. The other thing, which was interesting, again, potentially naive, but I think this is what a lot of people picked up on. I hadn't been a huge admirer of Colin's Doctor uh, on telly, but I kind of had this idea that, that I'll just say it, I thought we could do better. And I think, interestingly, uh, straight away, just asking him to underplay and taking a care in what, how he came across actually did pay off. So that's... A, that's Probably what I'm, even though it's not necess- it's not the strongest story, it's it reflects our passion, and also I think Colin and Nicola come out of it very well. Were Colin and Nicola on full fees? No, <laughs> they got paid, um, but it was a token amount. That from, from from their point of view, you know, they're getting jobs, they're working, but they saw oh who's they could they could pick up on my passion and enthusiasm and it was their investment in me as a potential in the future employee so it didn't cost them anything they got to do something to do something it wasn't a huge didn't you know it didn't take much time for them and they could see possibly that you know it would be an investment was it your ambition the the next the next year to get um nicola and colin into bed <laughs> oh well that it's so funny isn't it that that again of all the things i can't remember whether i was just genuinely being provocative or just simply saying whilst i'm using and i mean let's face it someone by shadows with all its flaws could in some ways fit in with the doctor who style and almost some more than a messiah could also and in memory alone which i think is probably the, uh, the most interesting of those three but then we turn bbb turns a corner and i'm thinking um 
okay, I've got, there's an audience here, but I want to do something different. So it's part of this move to, and, and of course, some people balked at it. Some people loved it. But the good thing is people talked about it. Um, and I just saw it as a kind of, well, what's wrong with having taking those two actors and just sticking them in a different situation? And I'm going, you know, again, as a, I don't know whether you know the story about that, but uh, um, Philip Martin wrote a script, which was kind of Doctor Whoish, and nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't, it didn't fit with this idea of taking it in a different direction. So Nick came on board and um, wrote Airzone, which again, I don't know whether my influence in it diluted his vision. It's not perfect, but it, but it's good. I think it's okay. It's a nice. It's it's got it's got a lot of good ingredients in it, and it was certainly a lot of fun to produce. As a as a fan, it was great to see those four, even though they weren't playing the Doctor. Those four actors who had played the Doctor all together. It was it was like almost yeah. like a multi Doctor story. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me now. I mean, I've learned over the years because I've been to numerous conventions in numerous countries. And um, Doctor Who fans, or fans in general, I don't think, I mean, it's not just Doctor Who fans, will tell you what they think. <laughs> uh, and that's good, because um, there's, no, you, you, there's no beating about the bush. So if they love it, they'll tell you. If it's mediocre, they'll tell you. And if they hate it, they'll tell you. So the feedback is always clear. And I've learned to develop this thick skin just to say, okay, um, and somewhere in the middle is probably the truth and obviously it means different things to different people so it's i'm i'm glad you said that because to me um it achieved what we set out to do which was to celebrate a, um an anniversary but in in a bbv way rather than an i mean it amused me greatly colin came to set and told me that he'd been approached by the bbc about the dark dimension uh, celebration episode but it was clear that it was fraught with issues. So whilst he was going to do it, we discussed whether we should carry on with Airzone. And I'm so glad that we did, because, of course, the Dark Dimension didn't happen. So be, so between 92 and 98, there was a, a few videos came out. I, I, I can't remember when uh, the Probe series started and then yeah, Auton as well. Was that prior to the audio adventures? Yes. I think there is... I mean, Cyberon is... During it, audio adventures in time. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I, uh, there are people who might say things to me. I think, oh, really? Was that when it was? Uh, my, my, I've lost track of the timeline. But yes, most of the videos are before. There's only a few that come up during and are, uh, yeah, during. So, what sparked your uh, desire to go back to audio and start that series? I know. I remember. I can't remember the sequence of events, but I remember having a conversation with Sylvester. I remember being cheeky. I remember the Virgin books. And I remember thinking the BBC would be, why aren't the BBC doing this? I'd forgotten the John Pertwee radio and Collins radio thing, but I'm sure that must have played into it somewhere. But I thought, if Sylvester's up for this, we could do it. The the original idea was to adapt the Virgin novelizations, 
and I was having conversations with Peter Darvel Evans, uh, and he was having conversations with the BBC. So I was getting, I was going to the BBC through him. Uh, but obviously, unbeknownst mm. to both of us, the BBC had ideas to bring that back in house. So that was never going to go anywhere. But I didn't realise that at the time. And then I think I approached the BBC directly and got a no. Uh, partly because they weren't interested. They don't, again, as I said to you at the beginning of this conversation, at this point, there, whilst there is a commercial, there were, there were commercial dimensions to what they were doing, it's nowhere near what it is now. So, yeah, and then, then conversation, I mean, the whole thing really hinges on, then given that the BBC had said no, the whole thing then hinges on Sylvester and then Sophie. And uh, because I'd worked with both of them and had a good, I mean, it was you know, fortunately, Sylvester and I did a lot of work outside of this, the Doctor Who arena on other things. So we were quite chummy. And I, I was kind of curious to know whether he'd take the risk. Because, I mean, it was, I, I made it very clear that we were kind of flirting with the edges of the whole thing. But he was up for it. I mean, and, and thank goodness in a way, because I don't think, a big finish would have got a license had I had we not done that. So um, I can't say for certain, but I, I'm sure it definitely played. Um, the, frustratingly, there were there were characters in the whole thing uh, that made it their mission to see to it that we shouldn't be doing this. Because I, I mean, I but basically, I don't think the BBC really cared at that point. But certain people did, and that was the unfortunate thing. But looking back, I, you know, there's no, again, there's no, I don't really tend to regret anything. And uh, whilst I didn't do anything for a long time, I'm now, you know, I'm now, I, I, I love doing drama. And um, uh, I mean, I'm using my own voice now and uh, presenting myself as the face. And that, I mean, that, uh, what, People may hate it. People may like it, but I it doesn't bother me. I'm in, I'm enjoying myself. So, so what had changed between audiovisuals, where you're blatantly using the Doctor, to Professor Ace, where you no longer could? So, who are the individuals that were having a problem? Was it within the BBC? No, I don't think it was the BBC. I just think that the, the certain certain fans have uh, take a, take it upon themselves. To have an opinion, and you know, who am I to say that they shouldn't have that? Oops, shouldn't have that opinion. And I, I mean, I, I'm a great believer in these things happen for a reason. So, whilst at the time it was, I was, I was hurt and also uh, frustrated. But basically, I mean, once Big Finish got the license, that kind of pulled the carpet from underneath what I was doing because I couldn't, we couldn't compete. But then again, just looking back, there's a time and a place for everything. So I, you can you can try and pinpoint how it happened, but actually the fact that it happened that way is irrelevant. It was always going to happen in my opinion. There's a you know it, things Big Finish will end or morph or do whatever. Um, and everything does. So you know, I, 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 there were some there were some big names that um, 
eventuated with Big Finish. Um, I mean, the first the first couple of stories Mark Gatiss wrote, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for you, um, yeah, people like Nigel Fares and Rob uh, Shimon. Yeah, yeah, Rob Shimon. Yeah, Rob Rob Shimon. I've got to I've got to say that the, that one uh, written by Jeremy Ledbetter. That's probably probably my favourite production. I can listen to yeah. that over and over again. Do you, do you have anything specific you remember about that production? I didn't direct it, but I was there at the studio and I remember thinking Syl being really chuffed with it because I'd done uh, a slightly sneakily and I realised at the time that this was, uh, I won't do it again. I was kind of, because Sylvester is more expensive than Sophie, understandably, at the time in terms of fees. I thought I'll write, I'll write a couple of stories for Sophie. Uh, and then, so that was Left Hand of Darkness and the um, the other side, which I thought were very good. And were, were good kind of profiles for Sophie. Anyway, I'm th in order partly to balance that, we wrote a story. Well, also, I think Punchline comes at a time when we kind of, the Professor and Ace have kind of, been and gone what else can we do with it and this is where punchline comes into it and i know that Syl really really he, he said at the time this is my favorite script because it it kind of is doctor who but it's also just a nice story and a good piece of drama and the woman whose name i forget she her she she got she pitched it just right i thought the the transition from the silly sitcom into the more darker, sensitive um, loneliness. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Can I pour you a drink, sir? Oh, probably shouldn't. Oh, just a little one. It is gin and tonic, isn't it? Yes, sir. Not ginger beer. Gin and tonic, sir. Just a little one. No, bigger than that. You see, Perkins, disturbing rumours have reached me that you have developed a secret penchant for ginger beer. Ginger beer? Oh, my golly gosh. Oh, Christ. I suppose it's no business of mine what an employee he gets up to in the privacy of his own home. But I don't like ginger beer drinkers. Never have done. Never will. No, quite right, sir. You know where you are with gin and tonic men. Sharp men. Refreshing. But then there are the ginger beer men. And sure, at first they seem bubbly, they have a bit of sparkle, but give them a few hours without the top on, they soon all go flat. Got that, Perkins? Yes, sir. Don't go all flat on me. No, sir. Ever heard of Cooper in accounts? Uh, no, sir. Uh, yes, uh, I'm not sure, sir. He was a ginger beer drinker. You get my meaning. Perkins. What, sir? You seem to have a wet stain on your crotch. Oh, my golly gosh. Who, oh, sir? Who? Oh. So, just as I feared, it's ginger beer. No, it's all a mistake. I'm glad I'm here to stop this in time. I came over as soon as your wife phoned me. She was worried about these soft drink tendencies you were exhibiting. June betrayed me. June saved you. Not many wives would stick by a ginger beer junkie. She must love you very much. And though I've never met her, she sounds like hot totty. Unlike Mrs. Sir, who was built like a battleship. 
I swear to you, sir, I'll never drink ginger beer again. That's a promise. I was saying earlier that Marvel took the idea and produced WandaVision. It's very much the same concept that the WandaVision works with. There's a... Yeah, I think you see... Good ideas, huh? Yeah, great ideas. So there, there was also a series called uh, A Couple of Stories that you called uh, The Wanderer, with bringing Nick Briggs' character back from the audiovisuals character of... Mm. He's, he's virtually the Doctor. Uh, but called Fred. So I listened to that again today, actually. I listened to Cyber Hunt and... They're good. They're good. I think, I mean, yeah. I thought Cyber Hunt was, was really, really good. And um, it, it's, it's an example of sort of Stephen Moffat-y type silliness yes. that you look at on the cover and you think, well, how can that possibly work calling this character Fred? And then you go into the story. So it was written in such a way that it went, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. He's Fred. Let's go. And so that was that was great. I really enjoyed that. Um, how, I, I've, I heard that Nick was a bit hesitant to do that role. Is that is that right? I was working with Nick on um, something else, and I mean, he, well, he did it, didn't he? I mean, and I think BBV at this point, it, because of the Professor and Ace things, we, we were skirting with the edges, and of course, Nick was sensitive to that. I think, if I remember rightly, the timeline is now Big Finish are now in play with the Bernie Summerfield. So I think he's being sensitive to, understandably, uh, any opportunity that might arise there, also with his own reputation. But he did it. I mean, and I'm glad he did do it. Um, at this point, what I'm doing is experimenting with other strands to see things that will stick and to see what plays with the audience. I can't remember too much about it, but you're right. There were, Nick did require some convincing, but then work is work, I think, at the end of the day. And, and an actor wants to, uh, I mean, he loves doing that part. I mean, if he, 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 and you can tell it's full of, he's in his element. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can tell he does love it. Yeah, speaking of these different strands, you, you're looking at different properties too, like the Sontarans, you're looking at K9. And the mistress, um, what's it? Um, Rutans, I suppose you go to the same property owner for the Rutans yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's involved? The Rani, uh, there was a Rani story as well in there. You got to work with yeah. Kanamara. So, what was? Yeah. What's involved in in approaching these property holders and getting getting stories together? What, what's what's the process? I think charm. <laughs> um, charm persistence uh, with, with each one obviously has its own story i mean i knew pippin jane baker because colin had introduced me colin had, uh, colin was very canny with him but for him they were the two writers that he clicked with that he liked their style and they liked his style and he obviously had been he was meeting up with them and he mentioned me to them so they obviously were intrigued as to who this young upstart was. So then I started meeting them. Uh, we, we would regularly meet for, it would be, a, sometimes we'd have coffee, coffee, sometimes we'd have tea, but Jane would always make sandwiches of some description. They had this very uh, simple, austere house in Ryslip that I would go to semi-regularly and we'd just chat and talk over ideas. And then it came, they were, they had scripts that they were offering me to do, nothing to do with Doctor Who. 
uh, thrillers and things that we were looking at. And then um, uh, we just discussed the Rani and they said, well, you know, they, they, they introduced me to Kate. So, yeah, I mean, it, like in previously, Colin had introduced me to Syl and Sophie, who I had worked with on More Than a Messiah, also said something to Syl. Colin, oh no, sorry, it was Sophie who introduced me to Syl, Colin who introduced me to Peter, and Syl had then spoken to John Pertwee. So it, it's all... Networking. Through, yeah, and, and then the... The canine, I mean, the, 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 those characters around the... Brani was because I knew the writers. The other ones, Patricia Holmes with all the Robert Holmes stuff, she, you would just write to her and ask her if you could have permission. And there was a, a small fee agreed, and that was very straightforward. And then the, the canine was just through the agent. So it, it, depending on which way you were going would dictate whether it was a simple... I mean, I remember asking for the Cybermen. I had permission from the BBC, but the agents were... The reason why we had Cyber on as opposed to Cybermen was, although I had BBC permission at the time, which came at the same time as Liz Shaw for Probe, I couldn't get permission from the... They weren't... They didn't say no, but they, we never got to an agreement, so I was I hesitated. You've got, I think, four seasons of... Uh audio adventures in time and space which are now available on the website what have you been doing between the end of that which was what was that about 2001 2002 that finished yeah what well, doing I... in the intervening time between then and now i suppose you did that one you did a you did a, a probe film in 2015 didn't you yes what i was doing i i i was investing my time in um my own acting and performing so i was working with uh amateur theatre groups locally to me in Southampton. I, um, I went to Australia too and uh, studied a spiritual um, a healing technique. Uh, then, so I was working with these amateur guys and I, again, always, whenever I'm out somewhere, I'm always looking at different locations. My eye is always thinking, oh, that could be good for a film. But also then with acting talent, because I was surrounded by amateur actors some of it, some were very good. So I kind of made a mental note, okay, if I ever do a film, I'll use them. And that's kind of where When to Die came about. Um, I wanted to do something with the people I was working with. And um, I kind of convinced them to come on board. Um, it's it's an okay film. It's it's nice. Yeah, and then I've done, I did a romantic comedy, which is also available on the website, which of course, nothing to do with Doctor Who, but that was, that's, I'm quite pleased with that. And so here we are now, um, BBV Online is up and running and pretty much everything that you've done is available to, um, to download now, which, uh, yeah. which was never available before. No, I mean, this is what I was saying at the beginning, that the, the, the online technology hosting a website, I stopped doing it because um, I wasn't, you know, we, we weren't producing new stuff. There was no, we weren't generating a, a consistent regular income. So I just went to selling on Amazon. Uh, leap, jump forward however many years. Technology has changed it now and, and the whole process is much easier. And I also, you need a team of people. And Arc, the, I have to thank Arc, Arc Beetle, the people at Arc Beetle, because they were showing an interest in stuff that I've done. And that was the kind of catalyst to getting the YouTube channel up and running. And then 
then it became pretty obvious that a website was the next inevitable next step. And what's good, whilst sales of individual stories, you know, are, are they're not as anywhere near what we were selling at the moment, what we were selling in the in the heyday of BDV and audio adventures and the videos. Uh, it's a different model. It's um, there is a so much enthusiasm for writing. I have had people since the website's been back up and running, uh, come design, doing the audio editing and acting. It's a kind of collective. It's a space where people can um, do their thing, and we can host it. Uh, and whilst some people are critical, as it always was, most of the feedback we've had are glad to see back, uh, enjoying what you're doing. Uh, in, even if in most comments are very brief, but there, it's, there's, a, there's a genuine warmth and um, uh, receptivity to our BBV's return, which is, which is lovely for me. I did notice that you put a call out recently for uh, potential writers to contact you. What are you looking for? We've discussed um, the novelizations. I think uh, that's the, the Republic has, there's a lot of interest in it. So people, it's novelizations of pre-existing titles. It's, we've got the Brigadier Strand. So, um, which at the moment we're, coming at it from a using probe, my character from probe to tell stories about the brigadier. Mm. Uh, so uh, that's audio, but there could also be video content there. Um, yeah, so there's audio anthologies. Uh, and if you've got an idea for a video, I would also be, I mean, audio is obviously less involved than video. So the video projects are, a bit more long term, but yeah, anything really. That I'm open to any ideas that fits in with our model, which is what we've the existing library, um, but also allied stuff that's maybe in a new direction. How does that? How does the Brigadier stuff work with uh, Candy Jar, for instance, who are doing their novels? Do you have to work in together just to be aware of any potential conflicts or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there is a conflict because, I mean, well, I mean, I spoke... potential conflicts like coming up with the same idea and, and putting yeah, it in yeah, different yeah. formats, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm never one to much more that. I mean, the only thing I think if I don't want to tread on their turn, toes in terms of novelizations, that's not what I'm. You know, I'm I'm trying what I um. Uh, we're doing audio, and I don't think it does it matter really. I don't think what what potential conflict could there be? It's all a source. We're all big boys now, you know. We can we can always work things out. Um, I I just think the the key driver is: Are you enjoying what you're doing? And um, as long as you're not seeking to steal anything from anybody, uh, and and add, we're just adding, you know to the universe and it's a big universe that's basically mm, absolutely what are you doing now what, what, what's happened to your career currently yeah well uh, i'm 
I'm really enjoying this. Uh, my morning routine is to check my emails, uh, check my investments, <laughs> um, and read a script that's been you know, proof a script, uh, do some voiceover work, uh, do some editing, uh, go for a run, uh, do some more editing. And it's a really nice rhythm of uh, creative expression from literally using my performance skills to my technical skills. And it's so quick, you know, you can be editing, uh, I can be editing in the morning and once I've finished, it can be uploaded to the site in the afternoon. Compared to, um, I'm, I've always been one, I, when it came to the, the audio adventures in time and space, I mean, obviously all the audio visuals were all on cassette. Uh, but then um, when it came to the audio adventures, I had this debate, Big Finish were doing the Bernie Summerfield on cassette and CD. Uh, oh no, they were just doing it on cassette. And I had this debate with myself, do I do it? Where is the market going? And I just thought, stick with CD. And it was the right decision at the time. But now it's interesting again, because <clears throat> whilst DVDs still sell, we're now into this realm of downloading, which is interesting because Doctor Who fans love the physical product uh, and uh, educating, uh, bringing them on board uh, to download is obviously going to be a gradual process. But it's the, it's the best way now for me to deliver content because because not, because sales are not huge. You can, it's not it's hard to justify producing physical content because the the outlay the initial outlay is so expensive whereas download it's a very different model so yeah that that's what i'm doing at the moment is is my energy is how to play the download versus physical product we're looking at make how to release whilst all the audio content is available for download because i've sold most of the cds how could we envision that material in a physical way that would delight people and you know and, and um you know bring us a freshness to it so yeah it's um where am i at the moment i think i'm enjoying myself good now it's interesting speaking for myself from from australia um i've always been one for the for the physical media and having something to hold in my hands but just over the last few years i have finally Oh, there's a couple of things postage rates went up so insanely uh, uh, high yeah. to from particularly from the uk they're just ridiculous now um that became a bit exorbitant for me uh secondly i've got so much stuff that i've run out of room for things and three uh, plus i do a lot of traveling as well so i'm, I'm not here to play with my physical media um and, and thirdly most of the stuff I listen to, um, I listen to with my headphones on my phone. So yeah. I've I've been doing a lot more downloading and streaming, particularly over the last few years, and uh, and finding that uh, I'm coping. I'm coping okay. So <laughs> you're dealing with it. It's definitely the way to go. Definitely the way to go. Yeah, I think it, uh, it's having a sensitivity to to this. I get that people like having things on the shelf. Uh, and people say to me, why am I producing stuff on DVD-R? It's crap and the thing. But you, what people need to understand is if I print a disc, that's an outlay that I just cannot 
afford at the moment, it would mean that I wouldn't deliver anything. So do you want it okay on download or do you want not want it? <laughs> That's what it comes down to at the moment. I mean, over time, things can develop. But um, we're delivering content, and that's, you know, because we enjoy doing it, and we're delivering it in the best way, in the, in the only way we can at the moment. Yeah. No, very good. Uh, well, thanks very much for, uh, for spending uh, some of your morning having a chat with us. It's been a privilege to talk to you. Bill Baggs, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. To say thank you to my team, Warren and James. You've done a great job. On your Warren and James. Good job. <laughs> Hello. I'm Annette Badland, and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio. Shake your booty. I'm shaking mine. Well, that was a great chat to get some insight from uh, from one of the founders of uh, what uh, our audio entertainment is, really, isn't it, Philip? Yeah, I was surprised at how many I have actually listened to without realising I'd listened to them along the way. So yeah. a lot of them was for the past, and most of those videos he's done, I have. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I sort of picked it up along the way. But if you'd asked me, Bill Bags, BBV, I wouldn't have put the pieces together until quite re recently. So, so you've still got the Summon by Shadows and the little cardboard sort of uh, I box do. I've got that them all came in? Yeah, I've got all of them sitting in the box. I, I don't think I've watched them more than once or twice. And I, I do remember Colin and Nicola being in bed together and that really putting me off. Oh really? I just like it all. So I'm more tempted to go back and you know. As I said, it's a bit I, of a it's a bit of a shock, really, when you like because at that's like we're used to seeing uh, romance more uh, between the lead characters in Doctor Who these days. We weren't then. It was a bit even the the telly movie hadn't come out at that point. It was a big taboo, so it was a bit of a shock. It was a shock for my <laughs> by poor sensibilities. But yeah, it's 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 made me think I need to go back and look through them again. Um, I, yeah. I do. I do remember not. You know, they weren't Doctor Who, and they're not quite enthralling me. But I actually think I'm quite a bit older now than I that I was when they came out. So I'd probably enjoy them more now. Well, mate, go and have a look at Air Zone Solution again, because you, you'll notice Alan Cumming in there. Uh, he was an up and coming. Oh, get it, an up and coming actor at the time. <laughs> I hadn't uh, realised that. That's amazing that he's actually in that because he's yeah. huge now. Yeah, yeah, massive. All lot, lots of people who work with Bill have now gone on to massive, massive acclaim. Like we were talking about Mark Gatiss uh, and Nick Briggs, of course, who um, they, they've both worked into in the actual TV series. So um, yeah, it's, it was a good, good stepping stone for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, we can't discount them at all. And uh, now that they're all available to anyone who wants to go and download them from bbvonline.com, I think that's the address. If it's not, I'll correct it uh, in the show notes or on the screen. Um, so, so yeah, it was a great chat. I, I really appreciated that. And uh, well, let's head into our recommendations for this week, shall we? Um, do you know whose turn it is, Philip? Uh, would it be mine, do you think? I think you're right. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> It doesn't often happen, but this time you're right. <laughs> Good. Uh, I am going to recommend a BBV. I thought that's appropriate. Okay. And the one that really took me away this week doing some listening uh, was the punchline, which yeah. we did talk about briefly there. Yeah, it's my favourite. You know, Jeremy Ledbetter, which <laughs> I hadn't realised till just before we recorded the fact that that's actually Robert Sherman. Um, yep. And I guess now I know that it makes sense because I was just chuckling all through this. It was so cleverly written. The sound design, the music, 
everything just works so beautifully together. It's an incredible story. It is an incredible story, which is really powerful. It is, I mean, it's a Doctor Who story, because, I mean, yeah, you get all sorts of Doctor Who references to it, which is... If if you love the Holy Terror, Chimes of Midnight, Jubilee, uh, this is a forerunner to those. You've got to hear it. If you like Rob Schumann's writing, this you cannot do without this one. You can't. No. So it was brilliant. I mean, the, the, another one that yeah, I'd also recommend is, is the Wirren... I was going to say Wirren Dawn, but that's not what it was. It was... Uh, race Memory. Race was. Memory, which was the Wirren one, which... I wasn't quite as enthralled by Sarah Sutton does a lovely performance though. She does a great job. Yeah, I, I love listening to her. I think we just finished about four minutes earlier. I thought it had an ending that gave us another ending we didn't need. But aside from that, I thought it was a good story. But yeah. but um, the punchline can't be bettered. Absolutely. I'm going to recommend uh, a BBC audio that I listened to recently. It is... Um, Beyond the Doctor, so it's a Doctor Who universe story, Beyond the Doctor, called um, The Kairos Ring, uh, written by Stephen Gallagher, uh, read by Stephen Pacey. Unusual, but true. Um, it's a Romana e-space story. So Romana is, uh, is travelling around with Laszlo from Warrior's Gate, um, and they are uh, righting wrongs and fixing things and t- lots of time travel and um you know going backwards and forwards through history so uh and it's it doesn't it doesn't go for uh, an inordinate amount of time if i can quote um norman bates uh it's it, it only goes for about an hour and 15 minutes so it's it's well worth a listen um and just just something a little bit a little bit out of the box there we go. So that's the Stephen Gallagher, the Kairos Ring. I own it, but I haven't yet listened to it. It's one of those one of those things that, that I kept. Put, I've had it for months, and I've only yeah. just listened to it in the last week. I thought, no, I'm going to listen to it. I've it only goes for an hour and a, and a, and a bit. So yeah, I thought I'd get that in. But, but Stephen anyway. Pacey from Blake Seven, uh, he's done a number of Doctor Who novels now. So he's done two. Has he? Yeah. So but did he do he, Enlightenment? He did, did do Enlightenment. That's right. that's one of the ones he's and he's done. I was trying to think whether he did. I'm curious to hear well. his rendition of uh, Captain Rack. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't put on a big voice for her. Doesn't he? Uh. No. Anyhow, but yeah, it's a good. Yeah, I'll get to it eventually. Okay. But my list right. is so big. That's our recommendations for this time. Uh, we really enjoyed this uh, chat with Bill Bags. Uh, I know you did, Philip, and I hope everyone else did too. So thanks very much for listening. Catch you next time. See you guys. You have been listening to the Sirens of Audio episode 71, Audio and Visual, with our special guest Bill Baggs and your hosts Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Email address is sirensofaudio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and your favourite podcast app. Rate, review, comment and like. We'd love it when you do that. Seriously, it helps other people hear the show. Join our Facebook group by searching for the Sirens of Audio on that platform. You can tweet us at Audio Sirens, and you can even leave your own 60-second clip of audio feedback. Go to anchor.fm slash Sirens of Audio and follow the prompts. In the meantime, keep listening to Audio Drama, because Audio Drama rocks. No, it does, really. No kidding. Seriously. True that. True that.